Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, AKA the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you the Crypto Corner, where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, executives, artists, all kinds of people, you name it, uh, in crypto and blockchain globally. And today I have an amazing guest. He is the uh, product manager at Smart MFG. Uh, his name is Julian Picasa. Julian, welcome to the show. Hey, Jamil. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Kick things off. Um, I ask you, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? It absolutely is. My background's complicated. Um, I've kind of migrated across several inter- industries. I'm a bit of an interdisciplinary mind. So uh, originally, I my my all the way back background is in the fine arts and the film industry. Um, I made my way slowly up through the ranks there on the technical side of the crew until I achieved the, you know, the job title of visual effects supervisor, which I would call the kind of pinnacle of my film industry focus. At that point in my life, I was pretty um, focused on the tech and specialized in the tech. And I had a reputation of being the guy that could build anything. You know, I'd been a prop maker before that and prop maker and prop makers and fabricators are generally just given the impossible task, the stuff you can't buy off a shelf. And they're like, we need a giant spaceship that looks like this or a weird creature or whatever, you know, um, can you make that? How much? And so I had been doing that for so long and had gotten so focused on very specialized fabrication uh, processes that I, I went back to school for industrial design because all of my hobbies had kind of tended in the direction of digital fabrication and other applied technology platforms. And I started kind of slowly migrating out of the film industry because my focus was a lot more on the building processes themselves and how to apply these technologies in various ways and innovative ways. Um, So I then kind of have a mixed career for several years with a lot of digital fabrication and um, my early uh, moves in in blockchain, a, a very interesting emerging applied technology platform that uh, you know popped up on my radar back then. Um, so I got involved with, with industrial design around 2007, 2008. And then I'd say it was around 2010, 11 that I first started hearing about blockchain, first got actually involved in a business context um, in about 2012. Um, I then focused in on CNC fabrication and digital fabrication um, for a good long stretch because there's just a lot to learn there. And I had some really interesting opportunities, some still in the film industry and many absolutely not in the film industry. Um, and uh, and just kind of expanded on that tool set, opened a makerspace in my hometown of Miami for a while to help teach other people some of these interesting uh, new applied technologies. Um, and then climbed on board about two years ago at SyncFab, which took two of my favorite subjects, CNC fabrication and uh, and blockchain, and put them together into one job. So I had a unique set of skills there. Um, and I've been helping them for the past few years 
uh, with essentially industrial automation, industrial manufacture. Um, their clientele is pretty much all of the major space and aerospace companies, several of the major automotive manufacturers and some major medical manufacturers as well. And they use blockchain in a way, um, in an innovative way to help kind of decentralized supply chain solutions and fabrication solutions. Um, but essentially they're a fabricator. They, they help them make parts. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind of limited by NDAs and how specific I can be and what companies they handle. But um, most of what's gone up into space in the last few years has parts on it made by SyncFab. Um, so I've been working with them for a while and they saw that I had a lot of knowledge and promise in the blockchain specific space and on, that I had, you know, studied uh, product design. So they brought me over to Smart MFG, which is a separate partnered company that um, that helped them build their platform and that manages the token ecosystem uh, to help with kind of pivoting a little bit. Smart MFG's focus, Smart MFG had been focused up until that point in helping them build out their platform for industrial manufacture, but they wanted to start trying to address more consumer demands. So, uh, so I came over a little over a year ago to Smart MFG to start helping do that, and that's where um, some of our plans were, you know, brewed to uh, to build some DeFi platforms, and more specifically, our our very recent and upcoming launch of an NFT platform focused on 3D models and interoperability of 3D models, since that's that's our area of expertise. So that's a fast forward through the last 20 years of my career. Um, but yeah, is it, a, is it a good match for what I'm doing right now? Absolutely. I, I, I feel like I'm perfectly suited to be positioned where I am. I have exactly the right skill set and knowledge base. This is going to be good because most of my NFTs conversations are about art, um, or collectibles and, or, and DeFi about finance, you do industrial design. So this is going to be good. I'm going to learn something really new. <laughs> so this is awesome. So. Let me ask you what, what SyncFab is all about, and then uh, compared to Smart MFG as far as the NFT marketplace launch. So I want to try to make a distinction here between the two companies. Um, and so, um, you know, your status of the NFT market launch is with is with Smart MFG, right? Yes, it is the first non-SyncFab platform that smart mfg is building the first thing smart mfg built was SyncFab's industrial platform um and now they're turning their attention to building some new platforms that are more consumer focused got it and what what is the roadmap once the marketplace has been launched for smart mfg well that's complex um it's multi-part we have a dynamic roadmap on our uh on our website that you can go to smartmfg.io slash roadmap and see a you know live updated if we change any of our development schedules the website updates accordingly but um essentially we're we're going to launch in the next few weeks the nft marketplace um kind of feature light we're going to launch it in beta and the intent there is to just get it out early so that people can start using it and do some of the design and building and optimization around actual use but it's also a strategy where we're looking to meet the the market where it's at like you were saying it's been a lot this past year about art and collectibles and not so heavily about industrial design and then we're going to take it in the direction that we is our area of expertise because 
the fact is NFTs, although they only came to the public eye in the last year or so because of the explosion in the art world, we've actually been using them We can, you know, for years now. Um, we conceptualized in 2017, built out in 2018 and launched at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, NFTs for tracking and tracing industrial parts for manufacture. And we've been using them for that for years. Um, so we're very happy to see that the consumer sector has now you know, realize the promise of this technology platform. And we're hoping to build um, to support that because we're kind of already subject matter experts from working with them for years. But um, but we don't want to put a product out there that is too far away from where people are currently operating. So we're going to kind of meet the, the market where it is and then nudge them this way, which is why we're, we're focused on specifically 3D models and interoperability of 3D models and also the digital to physical bridge, um, you know, the idea of taking 3D models and bringing them into the built environment of the physical space, um, which there really hasn't been a lot of focus on that either. And, and those, again, are our areas of expertise. Got it. So I'm trying to make a distinction then between, uh, you know, blockchain for the supply chain and NFTs for the supply chain. Um, you know, reporting of information, reporting and tracking of an Apple, for example, versus reporting and building of a design of, of a product. Like, am I getting that right? Or how, how, what's the distinction there? Well, yeah, when you use broad terms like supply chain, it becomes confusing because there are so many different forms of supply chain out there. Like you said, when you say Apple, I'm assuming you mean the, the fruit off the tree and not Apple computer. And, um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, actually, uh, people don't even realize because maybe it wasn't sexy that I think Walmart and IBM partnered almost a decade ago on blockchain tracking of their food products. So they're, they've been tracking, you know, at supply chains for apples um, and food spoilage for almost a decade now, um, uh, you know, in, on an industrial mass produced level um, on the blockchain. So, uh, you know, for manufacturer, it's a little different. Supply chains, they branch into materials and different fabrication um, methodologies that are required. And there's all kinds of certifications that are very specific, um, especially when you're dealing with aerospace and defense oriented stuff. They have very strong certifications um, that are required for everything. So, you know, that'll narrow out a lot of the potential contractors that can participate in creating supply you know, to answer the demand of those industries. Um, that's where SyncFab really focused. We we focused on creating really robust systems to make it just easy for some of these industrial manufacturers to find the large networks of domestic suppliers that already existed and to bid essentially to submit one RFQ, one request for quotation, and have it go out simultaneously to thousands of different manufacturers so they could get all the quotes back. It really cuts a lot of the time out of the process um, and makes your turn time a lot faster. It really streamlines it. And also when you start having problems like the whole world has been having with supply chain disruption lately, it makes it a lot more robust and resilient of a network where you can jump over to other suppliers fairly quickly because you've already got everyone onboarded onto one decentralized um network you know that for sharing information so that's kind of the goal there and they've been as successful as one could ever want, hope to be with a, a startup that you know in their first three years they've onboarded the largest private space 
manufacturers on the planet and have been getting you know supply uh, steady flows of work from them for years like everything that they put into space in the last three years we have parts on so we're very happy to support them even though i, I can't name some of them by name due to ndas um, but they also have partnerships with legacy manufacturers like Lockheed Martin or, I mean, there are a lot of names that I could drop that I have to be, be careful about. Um, some and not others, you know, I'm, I'm bound by NDA. But um, but they, th you couldn't hope to be more successful than in, in your first few years than SyncFab has been. That's why SmartMFG feels confident now to turn their attention to building other platforms for the consumer. So SyncFab builds platforms and products and three-dimensional items for for Boeing. I will say that I say Boeing. I, I'm not under NDA, so I can I can assume whatever I want. Correct. <laughs> you know, um, Boeing, Caterpillar, Ingersoll. Well, Ingersoll is not there anymore, but whatever. Right. You got it. Smart Smart MFG is focused on the consumer, right? But learned from SyncFab, right? Um, well, learn from is yeah. They learn from build. They they build together. It's it's hard to describe that relationship. They they launch together, so they're launch partners. Um, they're still very closely connected. A lot of their advisory board. They share advisory board members and advisors. I'm one uh, team member that works at both. You know, one of the first. But there's a lot of interconnection between the teams. They they just are separate teams. Um, they also have a lot of a shared focus, even though uh, Smart MFG has turned their focus this past year to building consumer products. That doesn't mean they've turned away from uh, industrial manufacture at all. It, it all, you know, it all intends to circle back around. We're trying to just make some of these more robust supply chain solutions available to everyone in general, not exclusively industrial manufacturers. Um, we just built for them first because they're really busy and they have the, the highest and steadiest demands where consumer demands tend to be more sporadic. So let's take let's take what you've done, right? Um, and you've applied it to the real world, to industrial equipment. Now you're looking to apply it to the metaverse. How, I'm, I'm interested to see how you do how you're going to do that. Well, me too. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about working with decentralized networks is that a lot of your progress ends up being community based. So we can conceptualize and sketch out frameworks and build platforms for consumers to do all sorts of things. But it, but if the average public doesn't use them that way, then they're, it doesn't matter what features we built in. So we do a lot of pivoting and responding to what the average, you know, what, what our average end user decides they want to do with the platform. We try and enable certain things and make them easy. The metaverse is a, a fascinating topic, but it's still a very new topic. Um, there's a lot that has yet to be mapped out. And so we like the idea of staying nimble and trying to support and innovate in that space where we can support what people already want to do. And then also kind of like imply and hint at it and sometimes lead and say, well, what if we tried this? What if we did that? You know, um, support projects that we think are really kind of pushing the envelope and, and, help show people what can be done with these platforms that's never been done before. So that's what's most exciting about the metaverse. Um, we, we have a number of partnerships in development right now that have really amazing promise and that should change the landscape for a lot of different existing industries just in the digital space. Should be fun. Wondering, you know, it's important like um, sourcing and procurement are areas in manufacturing and how the role of procurement 
would work in NFTs in the metaverse uh, space? Well, I mean, we're talking about content and content creators when we talk metaverse because nothing's been physically built yet. So um, what you would really be doing in terms of sourcing and procurement for metaverse focused projects would be sourcing and procuring 3D models and different digital assets specifically, which do need to be generated. Some people are, you know, some companies are sitting on large uh, libraries of thousands and tens of tens of thousands of 3D models, some for free, some for sale. And others are, you know, individuals that are just legendary creators um, that that create them by hand, um, custom. So there's, you know, digital assets by themselves are a marketplace with its own buyers and sellers and supply and demand and creators. Um, what what I really find intriguing, but it's a little bit down the road for us, meaning we're we're going to take our our uh, platform in that direction, but we're not going to launch with these features. Is the idea of giving metaverse creators and digital creators a uh, a digital to physical bridge where they can actually 3d print something that was originally just a digital product that was a 3d model that only ever existed in digital space they can have the option to with a very high degree of ease of use um, 3d print so let's say you know as things migrate you know uh, cars and spaceships and boats and all sorts of things that just came with the game, they now start to become the property of the users. Uh, a user who buys a particularly, you know, beautiful or interesting model of a spaceship might choose to 3D print it and hang it in his house, turn it into a chandelier over his dining room table. And if the digital asset is his property, then there's really nothing preventing him from doing that except the tech platform itself enabling those features. So that's really where I get excited as a maker myself. I, I love the idea, not just that we can move digital assets around with greater ownership on the internet and between metaverses, that interoperability is, is fascinating by itself, moving you know, a, a vehicle from a game to a metaverse to you know, my own private collection and then selling it and buying another, that, that's already interesting. Um, but the idea that I could then take that and bring them into the physical world is a whole other level. I have a lot of stuff that I, I really hope to be able to try down the road, even getting uh, consumers tied together into different things with industrial manufacturers if possible. Since we already have such a long standing relationship with them, there's no reason not to build bridges between them down the road as well. Um, but yeah, the, the possibilities are really staggering and, and intriguing. I'm looking forward to exploring this space together. So let's see here. So you're really trying to extract like products and liquidity at the same time, right? Trying to extract? Or I, I would say extract, I would say mine. You're mining um, liquidity and products. You're creating them on Metaverse and then and creating them from, you know, in real life, right? So you're actually, you're actually kind I of, mean, you're actually kind of mining them, right? I like I like the word mining. It's it's a very strong word in crypto. I think of it as enabling and democratizing. Um, for a long time, especially when you talk about um, metaverses and games, you know these centralized game companies they kind of owned all their own assets. They paid for them, and use of them, you know, was just granted to all users right out of the gate. And and the only way they had access was through the game. The 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 democratization of digital assets is actually going to flip the script, so to speak, and put the power in the hands of the game, the gamers themselves, where the, the game companies will be forced to build the game around the assets that the gamers own. 
And that's a completely new landscape. There really isn't any business model currently optimized for that. And it's going to be really fun to watch them do that um, because it's a new it's a new paradigm. Um, so that democratization of digital asset ownership is is really critical and key. And it's what's the landscape changing aspect of you know, metaverse creation. That's why we're so focused on interoperability, on helping develop platforms that make assets, 3D assets, interoperable between all metaverses so that that, that ownership and that sovereignty of digital assets is really meaningful. It's, it's not meaningful if you can't move it between worlds, you know? So uh, the more worlds you can move it between, the more interoperable, the more valuable your asset. So you don't think there's gonna be, there's gonna be one metaverse world, you think there's gonna be multiple metaverse worlds? Oh, absolutely. I think metaverse is it's a catchphrase that's very valuable right now, but it, it can be misleading. I mean, what I like to tell people is that we already have a metaverse. It's called the Internet. Um, what we're conceptualizing as the metaverse right now is the idea of a 3D interface for multiple worlds in the Internet. Um, many of those already did exist, but just the deepening of that and the democratizing of that. It's a really intriguing point of evolution for the Internet, especially building it on a Web3 platform. Which uh, which democratizes ownership in the way that that blockchains do. Um, it's it's very much an about face on the way things operated in Web 2.0 for so long, and um, and and so that's that's the paradigm shift we're talking about. Is like it's the internet, meaning there are lots of different ones, not one, but with a lot more personal ownership and a lot more 3D and and virtual depth, not just like flat screens and sites. Awesome. I think I got a good understanding um, of what it is that you guys are working on. So this is awesome. Um, I want to shift the gear a little bit. I want to talk about, you know, clean energy. And I know um, you have uh, with, uh, with SyncFab, you have a clean energy smart manufacturing initiative uh, with the U.S. Department of, of Environmental, right? I want to find out what, what, that, what, that, what that's all about and what areas are working to uh, make impact. Well, ThinkFab has been making a lot of progress on a lot of fronts, but a lot of the time they they function as a subject matter expert where a lot of these legacy um, manufacturing initiatives, they, they have a sense that these technologies have promised, that blockchain has promised, and that it can streamline a lot of existing supply chain issues and situations and that it, it can it can speed things up and that it can cut costs and that it can cut environmental impact but they don't understand the technology well enough to really act you know act on that effectively and so they come to companies like syncfab that have that broader scope of industrial manufacturing experience to to really kind of dial in where where they can optimize and how they can focus their energies on clean energy and manufacture. So, I mean, clean energy and manufacture is another one of those very large catch-all phrases like metaverse, where just manufacturing uh, windmills or solar panels is clean energy manufacture. Um, and they have a number of clients along those lines as well, but they also function in a, in a consulting capacity uh, to many of the larger kind of alliances and initiatives in that, in that sector. Um, it's not something that I'm personally involved with, at SyncFab, it's something that I hear talked about at meetings, um, but I'm not on the team that is focused there. So I'm not the right team member to give the greater depth of detail you might be looking for. Um, but I know that it's very important to them, um, as well as the the you know the environmental impact of the blockchain itself. SyncFab uses um, 
a hybrid blockchain architecture of, uh, of an ERC-20 token, MFG, smart MFG, with a Hyperledger uh, blockchain that's a private DLT blockchain, and they use them together. And one of the main reasons for doing that is to cut the environmental impact tremendously so that not everything takes place on Ethereum, which is still a proof of work platform and um, and still has a, a much higher environmental impact in terms of energy usage than a decentralized ledger technology like Hyperledger um, would have that has something like 90% less in energy use. Um, so there are a lot of things that the hybrid architecture is meant to support and environmental impact is one of them. Um, so that's kind of an entirely different aspect than their, their consulting and manufacturing support for the clean energy industry. Um, but it's just, it's a really big part of their mission to use new technology to cut our environmental impact. And so they're focused on it at every step as they grow. Awesome. So taking the uh, application of, you know, um, manufacturing innovation, would you find that there there could be additional breakthroughs in the area of creating manufacturing um you know tools that will lower the carbon footprint in addition to to, to bitcoin oh, and other existing not it's not just that there could be there there already is and will continue to be um the thing is is that these these things are they're done by the community there the, sometimes it takes the community a few years to even realize uh the the energy footprint of what we're doing because we've just started doing it and it start and as it scales you start to look at it and say well wait a minute this is big now and it, the numbers are different and um so it, it takes a while and that's that's how product development and software development happen it's it's not always mapped out in its entirety from the beginning sometimes it's a process, you know, where you, it's iterative and you keep going back and reviewing and, and figuring out the pain points and designing and optimizing for those uh, optimizations. So um, it's absolutely already happening that blockchain in general is an industry and that product design, um, especially for hardware and mining hardware, ASICs, that, that they're all well aware that one of the favorite topics that people like to bring up about cryptocurrencies is its environmental impact and energy use. Um, however, this is a poorly understood topic. And sometimes people will come at it with graphs and charts that are misleading because even data can be used to tell a false story. But if you were to compare, for instance, all cryptocurrency activity or Bitcoin mining to the gold industry and how much energy is used to mine gold or how much energy is used by our banking infrastructure worldwide, um, you would find that it's dwarfed. It's like that's like here's Bitcoin, all Bitcoin mining ever. And then here's the gold industry and here's the banking industry. It's like and, you know, and that's just comparative data. That's just looking at the data. You know, um, that's without doing any kind of projections into the next 5, 10, 15 years. But the fact that we have isolated this as a, a salient and critical point is what has engineers worldwide working on optimizing for a much lower energy footprint. And uh, and it's already working. It's already at work. So and and the more you know we focus, the the more we'll even get the server farms that run the miners running on clean you know solar and wind and and uh, geothermal and and uh, hydro energy. It's uh, 
it's just a matter of giving the engineers time because I promise they do care. It's their job to care and they care just from their hearts because we all breathe air. We all want to live on a planet that is livable. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just about being realistic about the way we look at the data and about how quickly hardware can be optimized. But I, I don't see it as being some kind of a dead in the water concern, like it's already a failed tech or something like that. It's really challenging to talk about this aspect of, of crypto because you have multiple generations of crypto out there. You've got um, Bitcoin, which is generation one, Ethereum and all the Ethereum, you know, ERC-20 variants, which are generation two. But if you take a look at generation three, they've already from inception optimized for a lot of these issues um, because it was already a known subject from the beginning so it's kind of like trying to judge modern internet by dial-up standards it's just not it's, it's accurate but not fair because yes they're both internet but no that that's not that's not the end-all be-all thank you uh so, so in short i think it's inevitable i think it's inevitable that things will get a lot greener in blockchain and they already are that's my main point awesome so um, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you very much uh, for your time today. I have really one last question for you for today, and that is how can people find out more information about what you do, about what Smart MFG does, uh, about your role, about, about um, how, how can they do that? Well, there are a number of different places you can get more information. I mean, of course, the easy place to start would be looking at SyncFab's website or SmartMFG's website, which is SyncFab.com or SmartMFG.io. Um, there, we also are very active on Telegram and on Twitter. You can join our Telegram group and just get in there and chat with our staff. Our COO and myself are on there every day and happy to answer questions. Um, and yeah, just take a look at, you know, Irish Tech News podcast and, and some of the other publications that have been reaching out to us and writing about our work. Um, we sometimes are focused on marketing, but we are generally heads down focused on building the platforms. Um, but we, we love to share what we're working on. So especially if you have questions about any of the tech or any of where we're going with, with the tech and the platforms, please do reach out online. You can write to me directly. My uh, email's on the website. You know, I'm, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Hey, thank you, Jamel. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE and on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.